Greetings and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends wrestle with technology in a desperate attempt to get this episode recorded. My name is JG McCorney and we are here to discuss the Beatles as ever we are. I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Oh, and just as you said, that video popped up on the screen. Technology oh. is back, 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 baby. Excellent. Well, that's, that's incredibly great to hear. Um, we've been suffering some technical difficulties here in Beatles Stuffology Mansions, which means, unfortunately, this is about our fifth attempt to record this episode. And rarely has there ever been so much effort expended for such a little amount of material when it comes to the music. But um, this week, we are going to do our best to find something to say about I Want to Be Your Man. So, um, Andrew, what do you what do you think about I Want to Be Your Man? It's sure. <laughs> yeah, well, excellent. And that's it. It's been lovely talking to you. No, no, I suppose we better find something to say. Um, yeah, you're right. It, it's really short. Even by 1960s Beatles standards, this is uh, well under two minutes. And more effective for it, um, because it's it's worth noting that Ringo has kept this in his repartee and it was, um, with his all-star band, two R's in star, like the pun Ringo. Nice one. And and there's various versions of this that you can you can see that people have recorded, and it's about seven or eight minutes. And and when you you get into that and you're onto about the third guitar solo and you're onto the verse and the chorus for about the the ninth or tenth time, then it really starts to grate. However good the performance is, however enthusiastic the vocal is, it's just the same thing again. And we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how um ELO's version of Rollover Beethoven just goes on and on and on and it's all the worse for it. Well, all the versions that are under two minutes, fine. Appreciate those versions. Anything longer, you can keep it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not going to be the one to argue with that. I mean, the thing is, is uh, it, I mean, as well as being, you know, very short in terms of the actual running time, I mean, there's there's barely a dozen words in the thing. It's it's incredibly sort of perfunctory. There's not even a middle eight. There's not even anything other than um, verse, chorus, instrumental break, verse, chorus done, and that's fine. I mean, it's it's punchy enough. It's 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 got a little bit of uh, drive to it, I suppose. But I mean, yeah. I mean, trying to string this out any longer than a couple of minutes is is absolutely going to be an exercise in futility. Yep, there's 19 uh, separate individual words, by the way. 19. 19. Um, I apologise. I I, uh, <laughs> I was out by seven. That's that's okay. Well, no, you said barely a dozen. Now, ben, okay, is that is that actually 12 or should we not get into that? <laughs> Let's not get point? into that. Let's not get into that. Um, it kind of reminds me of, um, in that respect, of P.S. I Love You, which is the same verse and the same chorus over and over again there's a little bit of, of lyrical variation in the um in the second verse here but not a huge amount but it, it draws on quite a narrow um, group of words but doesn't necessarily mean it's ineffective for it um as you know um our listener will remember i'm i'm not always i mean sometimes i'm quite fussed about the words if they're, they're really banal but i'm much more interested in the general kind of feel of something so the fact that the, the language isn't necessarily sophisticated and varied doesn't really bother me that much because it kind of works. Uh, it, it's sort of an effective guttural kind of howl of, ooh, let me let me really be close to you kind of thing. I'm, I'm slightly more interested in, in the variation from I want to hold your hand to I want to be your man. Yeah. Do you think that that is something which is uh, explicitly sexual? 
Or do you think it's something which is, is a, sort of a progression just into maturity from a sort of adolescent hand-holding into, yeah, I'm yours now, it's, it's, it's more kind of a relationshipy thing? Well, I don't know, because if you, if you look at the, um, the lyrics as copyrighted, the, uh, the, you know, the word wanna doesn't appear in the song, it just appears in the title. So I, I reckon it's just the Beatles or perhaps McCartney even just being uber savvy when it comes to something that's that's commercial and that I wanna be your man sounds a lot more effective and and a lot more 1963 than I want to be your man because I want to be your man actually is quite difficult to say because of the the, the you know the T in want and the T in two following each other wanna just sort of works really quite nicely um so i think there's there's something in that i think there's there's a link going forward in terms of um you know a song like let's spend the night together you know i want to be your man has you know lots of emotions in in that respect as as well it's every bit as kind of forward if you like as let's spend the night together but of course it doesn't have the same reputation as that song is supposedly meant to have well indeed and um yeah i mean we've barely even mentioned the rolling stones so far in this podcast and we've recorded plenty of episodes up to this point but at this point it now does become unavoidable we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to tackle the stones and um you know i'm sure everybody listening to this is familiar with the uh couple of versions of the story uh as to how this song got finished and how jagger and richards ended up with it but um i mean Comparing them side by side, I'm, I'm really genuinely curious to ask you what your opinion of this is, but which do you think is more effective? Oh, well, I mean, I'm always going to have a subjective opinion on this because I'm relatively agnostic about the Rolling Stones. I mean, to be clear, I I do believe that they exist. I'm not denying <laughs> their existence. Um, it's more just a case of I've never really been that bothered have been some good songs that have appealed to me um but i've only ever owned a couple of stones albums and you know exxon on main street being one of them and i got quite bored of that after a while you can sort of feel how loose that is and this their version of, of this feels pretty loose as well i think there was a a quote from from one of them that referred to the fact that there wasn't really any production so it sounds a bit kind of wild and chaotic and you can hear that and and i think how you feel about it then comes down to how you feel about mick versus ringo or how you feel about <laughs> that slide um guitar um for that descending line between you know after i want to be your man you know you've got brian jones doing that that descending slide and and that's either like totally rock and roll man or it's a oh god that sounds a bit irritating and i think i saw the veer on the side of mm, sounds a little bit irritating yeah yeah it's 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 a curious one because i think when the, when it comes to the beatles version there's a an ever so slight air of what's the word i'm trying not to say desperation about it but that's kind of also what I think I want to say as well. It it it, it 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 sounds like it's trying really hard to be upbeat and energetic, and occasionally it manages it. But there's a slight sense of mm, desperation about it that I I think it it gives it a slightly keening edge that doesn't quite work. And I'm I would 
struggle to nail down exactly what that is because I don't think um, I don't think Ringo's vocal was bad. I think it's as good as you know he's likely to get at this at this point in his career. And like like you mentioned, he's clearly fond of the song, still still performs it. Um, so that's great. Um, I don't know. There's just something about it where they, for once the energy seems a little bit kind of manufactured in the studio. There's the, the like just before the the um, the guitar break. Um, there's kind of like there's a bit of a, a yelping and yelling in the background to try and kind of get the energy level, and that actually works quite well. But for the rest of it, I don't know. It 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 feels a bit kind of yeah, sort of flat, like like they're just going through the motions. The Stones version is very. Um, very much the other side of that coin. It's kind of all energy, but the very little actual else going on. There's not really any great indication of sort of musicianship. I don't think anybody would argue that it's not Mick Jagger's best vocal ever. Um, and yeah, that slide is just annoying. <laughs> it's like, I really get what they were going for. I'm really not convinced they managed to land it. Um, so I'm not really convinced that either version of this song is particularly brilliant. I just think they're not particularly brilliant in slightly different ways. I think there's a there's, there's a few things related to that. I mean, I think if Ringo had sung this the way he'd sung Boys, then perhaps it might live a little longer in the memory uh, in that sense. It doesn't quite have that same commitment. And then that may be back to our old conversation about the fact that, you know, Boys was something that they'd played a lot and he clearly had a relationship Whereas this is written as a song to give to Ringo, play it a few times, rehearse it a few times, record it a few times, you know, job done. Um, you know, there's also then the fact that the Stones were, even though the Beatles are hardly veterans, they, they are a lot further into their recording career and therefore a lot more confident at being able to to get what they want from from a recording. There's maybe even a conversation to be had about, you know, the guiding hand of Decca and few, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic that the Beatles never got signed by Decca because, you know, look what a shamble some of their early recordings could have been in comparison to the the guiding hand of, of George Martin. So you could chuck all of that into the mix and come up with a, a weight of theories. But I think when it comes down to it, it's just an OK song that is that has a very short kind of life before um, before it's recorded. And it's another one of those quick turnaround numbers. Uh, and yeah, it's one that lingers. It, it, it does kind of hang around for a long period of time. And, um, you know, if Ringo's still performing it today, then that's half a century on. I mean, that's, that's not bad for a kind of one minute 50 sort of blast of whatever. And um, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that the Stones are probably not missing it much from their live performances these days. Just, well, can I give just, you some... Just a feeling. I'll give you some set list research from that. Wow, oh, okay? lovely. So I know love a bit of set list research. A lot of our set list research. Obviously, this is um, um, clouded with the usual caveats of, you know, it's user-generated content and therefore is liable to be wrong. But um, after 1964, the Stones played it once in 65, and then not again until 2012 when they played it three times. And then in 2022, they played it at the um, the gig they did at Anfield in, in Liverpool. And you can see, there's YouTube footage of that. You can see it. It's, um, um, I mean, punchy would be, um, you know, a nice description. You know, they rattle through it and they kind of look like they're having fun, but they look like they're having perfunctory fun. 
um you know it's a let's do it let's get it out of the way it's a tribute to the fact that we're in liverpool um and you know over that's fine however ringo star and his all-star band double r like it ringo very good um have apparently played it 657 times and i think he only wow. started gigging with them in 1989 maybe 1990 so <laughs> pretty much you can imagine that's every single show but the concept of the ringo star all-star band double r like it ringo um is is quite an odd one bearing in mind that they usually play, I don't know, about 16, 18 songs, most of which are sung by Ringo, despite the fact that in that band, much like another band he was involved with, there are really very, very competent uh, musicians who are also considerably better singers. It's kind of like a rotating cast, depending upon the tour. Um, And those other people might get a song um in each of the live shows so there might be four songs that are sung by someone else and then the rest sung by Ringo and you know you can pretty much guarantee what most of those songs are gonna be yeah yeah I'm pretty sure I could work out the set list on my fingers um but I mean it's also worth mentioning that about Ringo is that he's very um He's very diligent in the way that he gigs. He's a hard-working musician. Yep. He's, you know, he's still out there. He's still banging it away. You know, he's over 80 now. Um, and, I mean, I know it's purely anecdotal, but um, almost everyone that seems to have seen the All-Star Band just says, it's really good fun. It's like, it's a good night out. And, you know, that's not the yeah. worst thing in the world. Um, but he's not really aiming for that kind of McCartney-esque stadium, Glastonbury, whatever kind of thing. Like, he's got his little band together. He gets to go out and do the thing that he loves doing. It. And um, this song is, uh, you know, a part of a part of that. And if he's played it 600-odd times, then it must it must be okay. You wouldn't play something that you hated 600 times, not, not for all the tea in China. And it seems to be his thing. And, you know, kind of good on him for that. I, I think it's a very... Um, underappreciated side of Ringo but he's just like a genuine hard-working kind of musician who gets out there and gets on with it I think even if you to look at McCartney's set list if he's playing 30 to 40 songs as he seems to do this say he plays 30 songs um you know per per concert you can probably work out what say maybe 20 of them are going to be um and perhaps of the remaining 10 you know, there might be one or two that you wouldn't, you might be a bit surprised by, but the rest you could draw from a list of, you know, perhaps another 20 and say, well, it's going to be eight of those in, in any one night. You know, um, it's not like perhaps the early days of, of Wings where, you know, you probably not getting many Beatles songs because he was trying to establish Wings as a band in their own right. Um, and, you know, John didn't play live very much at all after, uh, the Beatles split up, uh, did he? But your chances are that, he, again, you know, not going to be playing any Beatles songs. Um, you know, and I don't know about George, but George was another one who, again, really didn't play live very much. No, well, quite. But, but I mean, it seems to be something that the Ringo genuinely enjoys doing. And to be fair, McCartney clearly gets a blast out of it as well. He clearly loves playing live. And, and you know, uh, I'm not going to drag over the whole 1969, 1970 kind of vintage trying to get them back in the road again. But, you know, it's clearly something which is is deep within him that he wants to he wants to do. Whereas um, 
I can't find an elegant link to bring it back to the song, so this is just going to be a smash cut, I'm afraid. Um, but you can do it because you know what I think is is quite interesting is that, of course, you know, Lennon and McCartney were writing songs for Harrison that didn't have a huge amount of range. Well, what that means is that the 80 year old version of of Ringo can still sing them. The songs, of course, that McCartney wrote for himself at the time would have showed off his his vocal flexibility and his vocal range and now he struggles he really struggles there was a um um i'm, I'm desperately trying to remember um what it was oh it was the um um was it the taylor hawkins uh, memorial concert uh the, oh, yeah. the drummer from the foo fighters where he um came out with chrissy hind um and they did um oh it's uh, it's one of those that they never played live, but they also did that and, and helped the skeleton. And of course, you know, Chrissy Hind is doing the hard part of the vocals. Um, I think it's Oh Darling uh, was the other okay. one uh, that he did. Um, and, you know, McCartney would do the Oh Darling, you know, that bit. But when it then came to the, the screaming part, Chrissy Hind did that. So he, he just hasn't really got the vocals to, to, you know, to do it anymore. But then, that's because he, he kept all the good material for himself and gave Ringo the limited stuff that suited his voice. So come 80, it still suits his voice. Yeah, no, I think that's a very fair point. And it's interesting, actually, um, I mean, uh, watching sort of McCartney at Glastonbury, um, it was it was Lady Madonna that stuck out for me that he really struggled with in terms of his vocals. And I think it's kind of a shame in the way, I kind of love the way that his voice has developed. Like the, some of the stuff on, on McCartney 3, um, he, his voice sounds really good. But it's not the voice of somebody who's in their, you know, late teens or early 20s who's kind of knocking out rock and roll stuff. And it might be wiser at this stage for him to kind of focus on the material, which is better suited to his voice. But at the same time, you know, like you're going to see a Beatle, you're going to have certain expectations. But uh, I do I do really love the way that his voice sounds now. I think it's I think it's phenomenal. It's got that slightly um, kind of late period Johnny Cash kind of American albums kind of feel to it now it's rougher and and sort of dirtier and and older and it's just lovely i i really really love the material that he writes towards how his voice is now ringo's voice has always been ringo's voice and yeah it's it's not going to change now that's for sure and i think he does actually do a fair job on the recorded version of this song it's it's like when i said it was desperate sounded slightly desperate before I don't really think that comes down to the way that Ringo sings it. I think, funnily enough, actually, I think it's the percussion, that kind of constant, like, ting, 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 that's going on in the background. It's like, come on, come on, this is exciting, this is energetic, isn't it? Let's, uh, 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 uh. oh, God, please just get to the end of the song. Um, and I think that kind of undermines it. But, yeah, I mean, his vocal performance, if it's not as good as it is on Boys, it's still it's still not bad. There's, uh, there's some decent harmonies going on, I suppose, as well. You know, I think it's, um, I think it's Lennon that's some backing vocals on this one um it's just maybe mccartney is as well and um it kind of it works well enough in terms of the vocals i guess do you think they knew that the stones were gonna be big when they they gave them the song my feeling is the answer to that question is probably yes um so we're gonna to have to address the story aren't we so right let's get that bit out of the way so depending on who you believe either um lennon and mccartney ended up finishing this song in the club 
uh, uh, you know, they went into a corner and just finished writing it uh, whilst uh, Jagger and Richards were sitting uh, were sitting there and um, just, you know, that, oh, they were inspired to suddenly become songwriters and they became this big thing and blah, blah, blah. Um, or maybe they already had it finished and just gave it to them. We don't know. Um, it seems like Lennon and McCartney both have slightly different variations in that tale, and I'm 100% sure that we're not going to be getting the truth from Mick Jagger or Keith Richards. Either way, I think the answer to your question is kind of yes. Um, I'm not a, it's like full disclosure, I'm not a big Rolling Stones fan. In fact, I hadn't even really listened to a complete Rolling Stones album until about maybe three or four years ago and then I undertook a kind of project to review all of the 70s Stones album. Please don't ask why, I just did and uh, it was kind of interesting to dig into some of that stuff because I was aware that the Stones were kind of a big hole in my musical knowledge and I kind of enjoyed working in the project. I'll actually throw it up in my blog at some point um, as I go through the album but I do start with uh, Let It Bleed which is technically 1969 and great. Um, but it was, uh, I can't really say it made me a huge Stones fan, but it gave me an appreciation, if, if, if not an undying love. And kind of a lot of the earlier 60s stuff is kind of fine, but I don't completely click with it. But at this stage in their career, like they were getting some momentum behind them. They may not have been at a point where they were writing their own songs, but then other than the Beatles, almost nobody was. And so the idea that um, you know, Lennon and McCartney could knock out a quick number, give it to McKeith and, and just kind of move on with their lives is probably um, absolutely fine. It's, you know, th this isn't the only artist that would end up uh, recording Lennon and McCartney songs, of course. Um, but I'd be, yeah, I'm pretty sure they must have known that they were going to be something at this stage. They had momentum behind them now. They were garnering a name for themselves. Um, and if they weren't at the top of the charts just yet, they, they were clearly going to be some kind of musical presence. Whether that presence was going to be um, another Jerry and the Pacemakers who hung on for a few years and then dropped without sight, dropped out of sight without, you know, further comment, or whether they were going to go on to be, you know, the other big band of the 60s um, probably wasn't clear. But yeah, I'm sure they must have known that they had something behind them. So I wonder then if there's a sense of um, cheekiness in terms of, well, they're going to be the next big uh, um, band off the block. So we'll give them a leg up and then we can always say that, you know, we helped them to become what they were. They wouldn't have been what they were if it wasn't for us. I suppose the other thing to then have a think about is whether this song is, is associated more with the Beatles than with the Stones. And, you know, that's not really something, that's more of a question to kind of throw out there and to sort of get people to think about, um, you know, as they listen to this, as they listen to the song, you know, uh, is it a Stone song? Is it a Beatles song? Who has the, the greater association with it? Um, I think it sort of lives longer in the legacy of the Stones because of its significance as, as a charting single. But, you know, whether that, um, counteracts against the the overwhelming popularity of the Beatles. I don't know. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that this got to number twelve uh, for the Stones, um, which was their first top twenty hit, um, and that's that's not nothing. I mean, that's that's a that's an achievement. It, I I know there's not really any way to answer this question either, but it would be interesting to know whether that success was purely down to the recorded version or whether it was because people bought the song 
because it had the name Lennon McCartney on it. You know, if you went into NEMS or if you went into HMV or something and, and looked up this single, that's what you would see. So it may be that that was enough. Um, you know, just seeing the name was enough to garner curiosity from enough people to, to sort of push it up the charts. Again, my knowledge of Rolling Stones history isn't really good enough to know whether that's actually the case or whether it was purely on the quality of the recording. Although the recording itself is crude at best, let's be honest. Um, you know, so I don't know, but it, it, it's it's interesting to speculate. So it's worth linking that to um, the point about the, you know, the story behind it as well, because actually... You know, I've heard people talk versions where, you know, um, Lennon McCartney or Lennon or McCartney, I don't know if it was both one of them, walking down the street, bumped into Mick and said, oh, I've got a single for you. Um, or someone leaning out of a, of a cab and shouting at someone else and, you know, all of that sort of thing. There's all sorts of variations, isn't there? But, you know, between October and November, both the Beatles and the Stones recorded it and released it. Yeah, it was one of those quick turnarounds. The Beatles recorded it first um, as part of the, the sessions for the album. The Stones released it as a single before the Beatles album came out, which I think is quite interesting. You know, whether there was any desire to rush it out, whether they even knew that each other were were putting out that particular version in that format, I don't know. But, um, you know, it's always interesting to think that um, the Beatles, having heard the Stones have a single with it, thought, well, we'll, we'll just carry on. We'll put it out there. It's not a problem. Because that's, that was the kind of thing that was happening, wasn't it? There were multiple versions of the same song by by different artists. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's something that we've mentioned in the podcast before, that there were plenty of artists who would release the same song, um, even even a couple, you know, so three or four different versions of the same song on the charts at the same time. And, yeah, this is absolutely... Uh, another example of that, yeah. Why why wouldn't they have a problem bang, banging out both versions pretty much at the same time? That was just what happened. Yeah, I mean, it, sort of it, interesting to think that there was there was this sort of behind the scenes, um, you know, tussle. Even if it was there was no actual tussle, it kind of looks like it because of the, you know, the recording dates and the release dates. So it's it's kind of linked with both of them, but interesting how quickly both move on and get other things done and it's it's a staging post isn't it we've said that before about um um about various Beatles songs they're they're merely a means for getting them from one place to another and you know the Rolling Stones made enough of an indent with this to then go on and you know write write their own songs develop their own way of working that made them go a lot bigger as well so you know it's it's one of those that that it's fine it does its job it helps us move from where we were to where we're going to go and you know in terms of cultural significance i think that's probably as good as it's going to get i'm very much inclined to agree with you um i can't think of a way of shoehorning this into the conversation i just want to mention the fact that the stones version of this song was the very first thing ever broadcast from on on top of the pops I just think that's an interesting fact. So I've dropped it in there, but I also have nothing else to say about this song. That's fair enough. Consider it dropped. Excellent. Okay, thank you very much for that. Well, um, well, we better give it a score then. So, um, yeah, what would you like to give this? Oh, uh, well, without seeing the other ones that um, I've already scored, I'm going to say it's, um, it's a maximum of a five. 
Oh, that's exactly what I'm going to give it as well. I'm going to I'm going to plunk it right in the middle as well. I agree with what you said. It's functional. It it, it takes its place in the album. It gives some Ringo something to do. It's still giving Ringo something to do, and that's that's fair enough. I think then we can probably leave it there for this one. I think we've done really well oh, to get half an hour out of this. It. We've made it. It's done. It's over. <laughs> Thank God. It is, like it is like in the can. Take it is five or six. Yeah, God, I'm so relieved to have this one over. Right, quickly, before we before we lose all sense of dignity and decorum, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scott, uh, which I will, as I said, at some point, I'll put up that, um, that Rolling Stones thing I worked on just because it's kind of interesting. Uh, please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show. Next episode, Devil in Her Heart. But until then, keep listening.